Let the words of my lips and meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Sunday before last, we joined a family as they dedicated their child to God. And I hit on that uh, last week a little bit and said I was going to do it again today. So I'm getting a good run for, uh, for, for this story. If they had been, if uh, Brindley Grace had been baptized today, and if we had used all of the propers instead of me shortening the service for the summer, um, we might have heard the chilling story of Abraham and Isaac. As um, with the shadow of the kind of dedication of children that some cultures have practiced in ages past. That God suddenly halts the process. I hope you're all familiar with the story of Abraham and uh, Isaac and God's challenge to um, Abraham to sacrifice his only child. Uh, that God suddenly halts the process and provides an unfortunate ram as a substitute, thereby banning human sacrifice, still leaves a shudder. And one wonders how Abraham, let alone Isaac, felt about this God after he said, only kidding, on that mountaintop. It's another reason I'm not a biblical fundamentalist. The Abraham cycle, the stories between chapters 12 and 22 of Genesis, tell of Abraham's call, of his journeys, and his developing relationship with God. A cycle that takes us from his hopelessness about having no heir, and his developing relationship, uh, uh, his journeys, his developing relationship with God, and uh, that and the promise that he would become the father of a great people, now concluding with this ultimate test of faith. This is a cycle of stories about covenant. God chose Abraham. Now, will Abraham choose God? And how far will he follow? And that is the elemental question facing each of us, actually. God chose us long ago. How do we respond to God and how will we handle the tests that come our way? Will we enter a covenant even as God challenges us, sometimes in an up-close and personal way, in the things that happen to us in life, and sometimes intellectually as we're beset with perplexing questions? Why did natural disasters kill people? Um, why are hatred and terrorism such dire threats in our world? Why do economic forces seemingly beyond our control, called bubble, caused bubbles and busts, forcing people to lose jobs or even go hungry right here in this rich nation. These challenges may or may not be as personalized as Abraham's test with Isaac, although often they are in our own lives, but they are um, tests nonetheless, even though God is not issuing a draft notice to us, summoning us to attend or else, which would defeat the whole purpose of covenant, which is a mutual uh, relationship. God wants us as partners in creation, and this will come with some costs and many challenges. In the epistle, Paul reminds us that sin can be very appealing to our lower nature, but that sin nonetheless is a form of slavery or addiction. And the wages of sin and of addiction are death. 
Um, but this is another way in which we can be tested to the very fiber of our being as all that we are, flesh and ambitions and passions and prejudice, seek to govern us. And our task is to make a choice. Which pay packet are we working for and with whom do we have a genuine and enduring relationship? And that goes to our relationships with people we love and our friends, our spouses and partners and uh, to our relationship with God. Uh, it's a, a choice, and in the game of life you can't hedge your bets and make it with your fingers crossed. Let me sin now, Lord, and I will repent before it's too late. That could be kind of a risky uh, business. And it also defeats the, uh, the ideals of covenant and partnership, which call for honesty and openness and, and full commitment. Today's passage from Matthew We've been reading all about sin for the last several Sundays. I'm getting kind of fed up with it myself. <laughs> and we're reading about the cost of discipleship the last several Sundays. Today's passage from Matthew, probably the shortest gospel reading in the lectionary for a Sunday, although I haven't checked it out, um, finally comes to the reward. It finally tells us that we will enjoy the reward of our covenant relationship in full measure according to how we have responded from our hearts. Prophecy and righteousness and discipleship are truly measured in welcoming and in kindness. It is not so much sins avoided that count, but rather good deeds done with openness and with hospitality. Righteous people are not holier than thou. They are people in a covenant relationship with God who love or try to love God's children just as the Holy One loves them. They've been tested and they have responded with love, maybe in simple ways, many times, and perhaps even being unaware of the test in many situations. Good people do good things, often without thinking about it. Now, on this Independence Day weekend, I don't think it too much of a stretch to shift gears and find in this idea of covenant uh, a parallel to patriotism. Patriotism in its fullest manifestation is not so much about a rush of emotional fervor about flag or country or singing of an anthem uh, for its own sake, even if one has a singable anthem, which some countries do. <laughs> uh, um, it's about being a good and conscientious citizen every day of the year and making choices that will benefit the whole republic and not just self or class or party. Uh, it's like righteousness, day by day doing and choosing in all humility what is good and kindly to all of our neighbors. This for Christians, of course, extends beyond national borders and citizenships because Christians are also dual citizens. In some cases, triple citizens. Um, we are also citizens of, of, of that kingdom which calls for our um, loyalty and, and obedience. Um, as I was trying to think of an example to um, where citizenship can be manifold, I thought of, um, in Israel, as you know, um, in, in Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial, there is the Garden of the Righteous Among the Nations. Um, a, uh, a memorial to remember non-Jews who protected and helped Jews to escape during the Holocaust. 
Each person was remembered with a tree and a plaque, but now there's not enough room for more trees, so they built a wall, and as they discover new uh, righteous Gentiles who help Jews, um, their, their plaques go up. They're sometimes called the righteous ones, and this is because, chosen by God, if you will, uh, or by their conscience, they said yes, even when they knew they might lose their lives by doing so, and even when their own nation said no. There are times when you have to break a law uh, to serve justice. One of them um, was the Archbishop of Athens, unlike his counterpart in Salonika, who was an anti-Semite, who helped the Germans uh, round up the Jews in in Salonika. Um, uh, Dionysius um, um, Papandreou, no relationship to the political family, um, protested the persecution and the deportation of Greek Jews and published a strongly worded letter, even though the SS commander in Athens, Jürgen Stroop, you can remember, you can hiss at that, uh, that name, threatened to shoot him if he did so. Remembering the lynching of the Greek patriarch in Constantinople in 1821 by the Turks, the archbishop told Stroop, our patriarchs are hanged, not shot. Please respect our traditions. Uh, Stroop did not, in fact, um, uh, execute the archbishop. He quietly ordered his clergy to provide baptismal certificates for Jews on the run. So good citizenship is a broad-based affair and can involve standing against the baser and more selfish behaviors and ambitions of one's own party or nation. Closer to home, we are called into the covenant of citizenship with the costs and challenges involved, whether this, at a minimum, means paying our taxes and obeying our laws, or offering ourselves in some degree of service to the common good or the national defense. We can and should take part and give of ourselves beyond notions of, uh, of selfish ambition or profit. Now, it took a while for the 4th of July to become a great day of national commemoration, as James Madison called it, and the first real big celebration was in Philadelphia in 1788. And the chief speaker was a native of Scotland, uh, James Wilson, but who'd been active in the Pennsylvania, uh, working for independence, and he broke the deadlock of the Pennsylvania delegation uh, on independence. And he once said, let no one say he is but a single citizen and that his ticket will be but one in the box. That one ticket may turn the election. Uh, his oration endorsing the adoption of a constitution um, was several hours long. I've got here. I've got here, in case you're getting worried, <laughs> I've got here just a few sentences um, from, uh, from 1788. A people free and enlightened, establishing and ratifying a system of government which they have previously considered, examined, and approved. This is the spectacle which we are assembled to celebrate, and it is the most dignified one that has yet appeared on our globe. Numerous and splendid have been the triumphs of conquerors, from what causes have they originated? They have generally begun in ambition. They have generally ended in tyranny. Nothing tyrannical can participate of dignity. In a well-constituted commonwealth, a common interest pervades the society. Each gains from all, and all gain from each. 
Your patriot feelings attest the truth of what I say when among the virtues necessary to merit and preserve the advantages of a good government, I number a warm and uniform attachment to liberty and to the Constitution. The enemies of liberty are artful and insidious. A counterfeit steals her dress, imitates her manner, forges her signature, assumes her name. But the real name of the deceiver is licentiousness. With the giddy and undiscerning, on whom a deeper impression is made by dauntless impudence than by modest merit, her pretensions are often successful. She receives the honors of liberty, and liberty herself is treated as a traitor and a usurper. Generally, however, this bold impersonator acts only in a secondary part, though she alone appear upon the stage. Her motions are regulated by dark ambition, which sits concealed behind the curtain, and who knows that despotism, his other favorite, can always follow the success of licentiousness. Against these enemies of liberty, who act in concert, though they appear on opposite sides, the patriot citizen will keep a watchful guard. Now, Wilson knew his history, of course, and he spoke at length that day about the slide of the Roman Republic into that imperial uh, power and corruption where despotism and licentiousness were married and caused the whole great structure to rot from within until it came crumbling down. Now, after the conclusion of our worship, we will sing the two verses of the Star-Spangled Banner. We'll do our best with that octave leap there in the middle. And, um, which is found at the end of our hymnal. And as we do so, let us remember James Wilson, who went on to say, a good constitution is the greatest blessing which a society can enjoy. Need I infer that it is the duty of every citizen to use his, now we say, or her and her uh, most unremitting endeavors for preserving it pure, healthful, and vigorous. The accomplishment of this great purpose, the exertions of no one citizen are unimportant. The end.